Since the 1990s, Estonia has been at the forefront of the digital revolution, with a large portion of essentials, such as social services, medicine, and finance, being managed online. While eliminating bureaucracy through digital access, this also comes with the risk of statewide cyber attacks. Back in 2007, the relocation of a Soviet war memorial sparked controversy among the Russian-speaking population in Estonia, initiating a wave of protests and an influx of pro-Russian propaganda, giving Russia a reason to put pressure on Estonia under the guise of protecting their fellow Russians on Estonian soil. During what was since known as the Bronze Soldier Crisis, Estonia became the first-ever target state of a wide-range cyber attack suffering the consequences of the first instance of international hybrid threats, combining cyber warfare and economical pressure. Although no military threats were made, the waves of cyber attacks perpetrated by Russian hackers on Estonian state institutions, most significantly the media and banks, signaled a hostile disposition from Russia and shed a light on the future of compound warfare, using a state's digital advancement against it. Social media, then in its infancy, was also weaponized through the use of altered images, propaganda, and false reporting. Today, in 2022, we are once again faced with the full scope of possible ramifications of cyber warfare, with Russian digital infrastructures being compromised by the anonymous hacker group as a response to the invasion of Ukraine and Russian attacks on Ukraine and other state entities. We have come a long way to recognize cyber warfare tactics, but have we come up with sufficient strategies to prevent them? My name is Terry McDonald, and this is the Town University Podcast. The more reliant on digital infrastructure a state becomes, the more detrimental a possible disruption in these systems is. Thus, the question of cyber warfare is more relevant in today's Europe and other tech-savvy countries than it ever has been. So what is being done in Estonia, in Europe, and worldwide to ensure resistance against cyber warfare? Last week, at the 10th Annual Symposium of International Relations here in Tallinn University, we heard from our resident expert on cybersecurity. Here's a clip. And there are two, two aspects where people specifically can affect government security and also other people's security. One is information warfare, uh, which is uh, an extremely hot topic right now. That voice is Katlin Kierna, lecturer of international relations here at TLU and cybersecurity consultant with CGI Estonia. And she is here today to discuss the role of cybersecurity in a digitalized world. And we're here with Katlin Kierna. Thank you for joining us on the Town University podcast, Katlin. Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me. We'll start from the basics. Can you tell us what we mean by cyber warfare and what role cybersecurity plays in it? So cyber warfare is any kind of um, well, computer-related warfare, internet-related warfare that happens these days. And uh, there are lots of different definitions as well as to when we're talking about um, uh, state to state, and uh, the, the biggest difference there is what's the difference between cyber crime and cyber warfare. Uh, usually, when we talk about warfare in a traditional sense, we mean you know bang bang uh, between states, or maybe some non-state actors that pretend to be states. But for example, with cyber um, warfare, sometimes it's uh, it's uh, also 
uh, entities that might work for the government or they do work for the government but are also just robbing money. Uh, so there's lots of different activities. A lot of, sort of old traditions don't really work. And cybersecurity is essentially any kind of protection uh, and a wider sense of the protection. And it can mean different things as cybersecurity in the, in the wider IR sense of security, but also uh, in the very basic sense of security, like a security guard. So every company and every person has to take care of their own personal cy or company cybersecurity as well. What different forms can cyber warfare take and like how can they affect countries, societies and individuals differently? The list is massive, uh, but I'm going to go over some of the sort of most prominent ones that have happened. Uh, a very common thing that happens is that uh, states try to take uh, out other countries something. So usually the very basics are uh, taking websites down, uh, taking down um, a very common thing that is quite dangerous is attacking op uh, operating systems. And I don't mean like Windows or something, but um, but for example, the operating system that is operating uh, a nuclear power plant, for example. So you attack that and uh, the operating module maybe doesn't function properly anymore, sends the wrong information. The first ever cyber weapon, uh, Stuxnet, uh, actually targeted the... Um, operating mechanism of uh, turbines in uh, a nuclear factory. So it wasn't a, a nuclear reactor or, or anything like that, but it was in our Iran. So the point there is that these are very common things as well, that you just take something out. Um, op uh, attacking all kinds of private sector things as well, taking websites down, taking... Uh, Infrastructure down, these are very common. Also lots of stealing, uh, data stealing, uh, sitting in different systems, uh, observing, collecting data. Um, using ransomware where you uh, send in something exciting and then when you download it, then all your files are gone and you need to pay money to get them back. So this is used mostly for um, against regular people, but also governments. So that's where the line, I guess, like you say, gets blurry between cybercrime and cyber warfare. Yeah, it's it's very blurry. I mean, the biggest cyber attack ever was in 2017 um, globally, and it was target um, it was targeting Ukraine, but most of the actual um, monetary damage was companies, uh, international huge companies like Maersk, the the uh, transit company, uh, and um, the 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 line between all of this is quite often super blurry and you can't really even uh, even understand who did it why they did it what happened and how do we how do we learn from all of this well it's a good segue into our next question because one of the complexities of cyber attacks is knowing who did them how do we deal with these attribution problems well um, in general there are uh, companies and um, interested individuals and of course countries themselves as well who have experts who study the code try, try to find out um, what's in the code uh, maybe there are some clues uh, they compare it to existing code from previous attacks that they already know who did it uh, there have been some uh, very good examples of a whodunit situation, like the 2018 uh, Olympic Games got attacked. And, and there was a, a long whodunit, like, was it North Korea? Was it Russia? Was it uh, China? Well, 
it was it was Russia because <laughs> that tends to be the answer <laughs> that tends to be the answer but uh, sorry to ruin the spoiler but um, so there are people who, who look for the, through the code uh, sometimes you can find this uh, one of the best known groups uh, of cyber attackers statewide is Sandworm um, a Russian attack group okay. that works for the Russian government and they actually why they're called Sandworm is because they kept uh, dropping into their codes um names and and place names from Dune. Probably not great to leave a c- uh, consistent calling card in your crimes. Yes, so they kept dropping those in there. But that's sort of the thing about it is sometimes people get caught because um, it, the code isn't just there to do the attacks. There's also this idea of showing off to each other and uh, and you know there's the this sort of tipping the hat kind of pride moment as well but yeah so th- that's how it was uh, in the end pieced together that all of these attacks by, were by the same group and and they were nicknamed sandworm because of it undone like the wet bandits in home alone yeah yes i was just thinking that <laughs> can you just tell us a little bit though like what the stakes are for attribution and why so much attention is paid to it um the stakes can be extremely high um there are some very basics. If you look at the uh, the first sort of cyber attacks towards Estonia in 2007, uh, then loads of websites were taken down uh, with DDoS attacks. So DDoS attack is something where um, they send loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of uh, visits to a website, which overloads the server, and then the whole thing collapses. And uh, and there, uh, it seems like a pretty small thing, you know, just websites going down. And in a way it was, uh, but of course that was the time when the riots were in Estonia and Estonian media wanted to get it out there to the outside world, what's going on here. Um, the other end of this sort of very spe- uh, the spectrum is uh, taking down, as I mentioned before, like uh, let's say nuclear um, power plant controls mm-hmm. that could that could lead to a nuclear meltdown. Um, they have there have been tests uh, by friendlies uh, to attack, for example, control systems of dams in the U.S., um, control systems of military weapons, control systems of uh, of all kinds of things. So. Um, uh, these are the moments where this sort of cyber thing can lead to real physical harm. But in the middle there as well, um, the biggest attacker in 2017's one, um, not Pecha, uh, was, uh, as I said before, towards Ukraine. And what happened there was that basically the country stopped functioning electronically. All of their information systems were down. And uh, a good example, like for example, they didn't know who to uh, give pensions to and how much. And uh, people couldn't ride the subway because uh, the um, the banks didn't work. Nothing worked, so people couldn't get home. And uh, and in the end, what they did with the um, pensions, for example, because their digitalization was so new, they had a they had a room in the back that had all the papers. Yeah, they had old papers, and most of this was still valid. Uh, but of course, very digitalized countries, um, everything could be there. And t- just think about this. Uh, of course, Estonia is super protected in this uh, this regard. But imagine um, that Estonia's registry of uh, real estate ownership disappears. It just disappears. So all you have is is those people who have their contracts somewhere on paper. And even then, you don't know if this is the latest yeah, contract. Yeah. Maybe this was resold. So imagine yeah. a system like that uh, disappearing. Ooh. So those are the stakes. 
I'm glad you bring it up because Estonia, of course, besides being the first state-based uh, victim of a cyber attack, what role does Estonia like uniquely hold in cyber defense and how does it differ from other countries? Well, Estonia is... Um Definitely way too big for its boots uh, when it comes to cyber. And part of it, uh, there are two th- two reasons for it. One is that Estonia itself decided that internet it's a, is, is our thing in the 90s. We're going to go all in on this computer business. And, and that was step one. And then step two was the attacks of 2007, after which Estonia said, right, never again. And uh, we have been building our cyber capabilities since then. Um we don't play we don't attack others at least not that we would <laughs> discuss here um but uh i don't work for the government um but uh, we are very prote- very well protected and uh more than average countries our size or even slightly bigger uh, if you look at the international rankings in cybersecurity we are we share the third place in the world uh, ahead of us are United States, and now I don't remember anymore if UK was two or, or or third with us, and I think Saudi Arabia was up there as well. And and Estonia is up there, and uh, that particular index is UN index, and they look into loads of different different things, including, um, you know, basically not just the government structures, but everything, and uh, and we are sort of way way beyond uh, similar ones. But others are catching up, and uh, and us being in the EU, of course, helps a lot. And of course, NATO has their cyber headquarters here. Uh, yeah, Estonia lobbied uh, quite heavily, and of course, because of this, we are cyber, cyber, cyber. Uh, it was brought here. So yes, NATO's uh, cyber center is also here. So, fortunately, we've got to turn to the news of Ukraine. Of course, uh, what role does cybersecurity play during modern military conflict, um, such as the current one in Ukraine? And, of course, if you can get into the role the state plays and private actors, of course, that would be helpful as well. So um, Ukraine has been under attack for quite some time. Um, the, there have been multiple attacks from Russian, uh, Russia's side uh, in 2017, for example, more than once. And uh, there was one uh, in late 2021 and already 22 as well. Few days before the war started, there was also um, um, a lot of killware was discovered, which is sort of basically malware that uh, destroys the system. And um, basically, uh, uh, Ukraine has been dealing with this for a long time, and they are dealing with this now as well. Ukraine right now is super safe because uh, uh, you can uh, you can tell that they're super safe by the fact that their websites still exist and their their systems still exist because yeah because they they are constantly under attack and um, uh, they will keep going uh, they have a lot of international help as well from different countries uh, but one of the reasons why there is also help is because um, quite a few have said um, well this was before the war though but quite a few have said that um, the 2017 attack, for example, the Notbetia attack, was against Ukraine, but it was also a testing ground that uh, Russia was testing its weapons, uh, cyber weapons there. 
And there are rumors that something big, big might be coming soon uh, towards Ukraine, maybe uh, maybe wider as well. So everybody is currently bracing. So it depends on when this podcast goes out. Uh, this might already happen. <laughs> but um, but I'm sure that something definitely will come because Russia is very cyber capable. Yes, uh, the Biden administration put out a major warning yes. a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yes, and uh, that that's the warning I actually referred to. But there there are stories elsewhere as well that that this uh, this might be true. Well, that's another segue because can you talk to me about the gap between state level cybersecurity and individual level cybersecurity? Or so yes, uh, one part of. Um, national cybersecurity should also be looking at uh, the people. And uh, there are two reasons here. One is that uh, helping people helps the state. Uh, for example, the same, not Peto that I keep talking about, but I mean, it's such a huge thing. And I encourage all listeners to Google it, look it up. It was, it was... Gen- if you could spell it for us, that would be helpful. <laughs> uh, it's all spelled together uh, and it says not Peto, but instead of, uh, so P-E-T-Y-A. And why it's called not Petya, you can look that up as well. But um, uh, there, it actually started from a company computer. So the the hit came via a small company. And the small company had provided certain software all over Ukraine. So their defenses were rubbish, uh, or at least they were weak enough. And that means that um, you need the private sector to also be strong and be um, good at their defense. Uh, of course, some, st- uh, some sectors are more important, like banking and medicine. Medicine has been getting hit a lot in, in Europe, around the world. My home province had uh, ransomware attack. Yeah, and uh, usually these are criminals, though. But it doesn't matter because quite often behind those criminals are still states. Uh, Russia continues to be... Um, number one exporter of ransomware. But um, uh, the point here is that, you know, this could harm the whole populace and therefore the state as well, sometimes even the state directly. But the other thing as well is that, of course, the states are responsible for their citizens as well. Well, not all states believe that, but but let's go with that. Ideally, (laughs) yeah. Let's go with that. So um, it it should also be the state's responsibility to teach their their, uh, populace that they need to protect themselves, how to protect themselves, um, help the businesses, especially medium and smaller businesses need help in both making them understand why they need to protect themselves, but also giving them the means to then do it. Because quite often, I mean, um, it's it's, sometimes it's very basic, just uh, get your, uh, if you have a website where you sell stuff, uh, or even if it's just a website, get that security tested. It's not a big deal. Just get security tested and get your workers some basic security training where they don't open every single attachment that they see. Yeah, okay. This sounds reminiscent, like this ta- attack you were talking about of solar winds. Is this similar? Uh, so solar winds was uh, was yeah one of the many that have been happening in the last um, uh, well forever. Um, besides, um, well, besides the sort of government things, private sector gets hit. A lot. Uh, SolarWinds made uh, headlines because it was a bigger attack, and there are, there were other companies behind uh, SolarWinds as well. Through then, who then through SolarWinds got got attacked as well. But there are so many stories, and and some of these are are really stupid. Uh, some years ago, uh, somebody hacked LinkedIn, 
and looked into the passwords of the different users. And turns out one user there who listed that they worked for Dropbox uh, had the same password there for LinkedIn as they did for their Dropbox account. So then Dropbox got hacked. Because and Dropbox, of course, has infinite amounts of data stored by yes. every individual user. That's literally what they yeah. do. So uh, that's sort of the thing that, um, and this is a very basic training thing is to say that don't don't repeat passwords, don't repeat passwords. But if, and also, you know, change your passwords on a regular basis. Funny thing is, so the the hack came out a lot later than it was conducted. So it was years later, and then LinkedIn went and checked uh, all the passwords of the people who were hacked in the original hack. And turns out many people had the exact same password as they did during the hack. So it had been years. This is a tech company. Uh, no, but this wasn't even LinkedIn workers. It was just okay. people who had LinkedIn accounts. Okay. But I mean, the point here is that these are very basic things that that need to be uh, you know, reminded. Uh, people need to be reminded of these things. That you need to do this. Okay, this one's coming from our research team, so I don't know much about this. On March 16th, 2022, the European Commission invited citizens and organizations to share their views on the European Cyber Resilience Act. How does this tie to the main goals of the European Union within the cybersecurity agenda? Um, European Union has been quite good when it comes to cyber um, because they are more aware of the situation than in some other places. And uh, uh, they are now directing their interests away from just state-based security to a private sector. So this act is one of many that uh, uh, that is in in the vein of that. So there's there's more. Uh, I don't have any specific opinions on that specific act, uh, but overall, um, you can see that European Union is is changing the um, sort of directing their interest in more private security. Uh, private sector security, individual security, and also um, curbing the powers of different companies because there is a whole different thing that we're not going to talk about today, which is uh, how much data companies have and uh, you know things like Google and, and Facebook and so on and, and what they do with that data and, and how much that is breachable and how much that is, basically how much they sell it to others. And Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, the Cambridge thing. Um, but um, a good example here here is, is that I think in general the European Union is doing pretty good job compared to many others, but I would still say that they need to do a lot better and, and focus on it a lot more. That right now they have focused on the big companies, and as I said, they've been doing a good job. I mean, they recently said to Facebook that um, when Facebook, um, I don't remember anymore what the dispute was about, uh, something to do with privacy and data again, and then Facebook said that if you don't meet our, our expectations, we're going to leave Europe, and then the European Union was, went just went, uh oh. Bye. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> okay, bye then. <laughs> because, uh, but then again, you know, EU can can do that, and smaller smaller countries and the rest of the world can't, and the United States won't. And it's one of the advantages, I guess, of countries banding together for regulatory uh, regulatory purposes, like yeah. the EU. Yeah. Um, Estonia is one of the first countries to have a data embassy. Can you tell us what that is and why it matters? So. Um, Remember before when I talked about somebody hacking the database? So, uh, so the idea here is that uh, all government fancy bands databases need to be stored offline as well. So something where they cannot be reached. And what is the benefit of uh, this data embassy is that it is in a country that is 
uh, very unlikely to also be breached physically. Mm. So it is a data center in a safe country. And, and this is something that uh, would likely be useful for many others as well. Uh, but the first step there is to start data, uh, storing data offline. That is my recommendation to everybody, uh, regular people as well. Just have like your old single terabyte hard drive outside yeah, of your yeah, computer. Yeah, just have a hard drive. Uh, uh, side note, don't put it on a, on a memory stick because you're going to lose the memory stick. <laughs> and for those that don't know, where is this data embassy? Uh, it was in Luxembourg, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's an interesting concept. So basically, it's just like a safety deposit box of like a backup file. So yeah, there's a little bit more to that but uh, than that. But I think that is the sort of the main thing that people should, rem- should uh, remember uh, about it. All right. So let's go a little uh, bigger picture here. What is the future of cybersecurity as you see it? Well, there are in general um, two, three things. Uh, one is uh, dealing with uh, the human aspect and getting security to regular people. Uh, this seems like, oh, this is the next step, but it is also the next 20 steps because uh, besides the fact that it's such a difficult topic, um, we are sitting here in Estonia and we are talking about it uh, because Estonia is talking about it. But most of the world is is not even anywhere near talking about this, uh, partially because they don't care uh, or they don't have the funds or they do care, uh, but they don't have enough funds. So um, they are so, so far behind uh, on this. So step one and the next 20 steps would be to to deal with this, to get security to every uh, cybersecurity, every country, every private citizen, private business, so on. Then um, other, another thing is looking into new technologies that emerge. Um, they might be software-based, they might be hardware-based, probably more software-based, and looking into the cybersecurity aspects there. A lot of people these days are talking about Web 3.0 and Metaverse and all of that stuff. Which Is, is, uh, is my toaster going to spy on me? <laughs> well, that is, a, that is a whole different thing as well, but, uh, which is my third point. But, but yeah, just looking at, for example, the, the software thing, like um, where we put our data. I mean, data right now is the big question. Like, where do we put our data? What do we get in return for it? Uh, who has access to our data? And who then uh, utilizes it? You know, what they show us and, and what information we get and, and all of this stuff. So um, where, what, what, where and how we secure and then, yeah, as you mentioned, the Internet of Things. Uh, the Internet of Things has been sort of the future of cyber for quite some time because it was one of those Jurassic Park situations where uh, they kind of did it without thinking about the uh, cyber implications. And, uh, and yeah, we have a, a huge problem where, where uh, yes, your toaster wants to go online for some reason, your fridge wants to go online, uh, your uh, security cameras send their picture somewhere. And, uh, you know, baby monitors, again, are somehow over the Internet. And, and all of these things usually don't have any protection. So they are very, very easily hackable. And, and through that, then you can get access to the Wi-Fi network and blah, 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 blah. It goes from there. So sort of securing all of those things, but also making people understand that uh, you don't need, your, your toaster doesn't need to go online. But I think in general, that the height of that craze is over. Like a few years ago, you know, people bought 
Well, actually, people didn't buy, but um, the investors thought that people would buy, you know, a juicer that goes online. It's one of the biggest uh, flops of, of this kind uh, for, for you and for listeners to look up Juicero, which is a huge joke uh, online where it was um, you had to buy a very, very expensive machine and you had to buy very, very expensive baggies that go in there and then you had to go via an app online to then turn on the machine so that it would press juice out of the uh, little baggie for you and uh, what's very funny about it it didn't take any other bags it was really rubbish uh, at pressing the juice out people tested it and it was easier to get the juice out of those bags by hand just on the table pushing it out like too spaced but then no, then no one's monitoring your usage yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean that's sort of uh, the, i would say that's peak internet of things in uh, when it comes to consumer products like i mean there are there are so many things like, hey, would you like a, a salt shaker uh, that is um, uh, basically a pepper mill and, and salt, uh, salt mill, but you have to turn it on with an app. And you're like, no, it's in front of me. Uh, so <laughs> please don't. But a lot of these things have died out now, but still uh, security cameras and things like that uh, and TVs and uh, fridges and so on, they do need uh, need to be secured. Well... Let's bring us to our last question then. How can individuals, our listeners, me, uh, contribute to our collective cybersecurity, and why does that matter? So first of all, uh, you need uh, you start by fixing your own cybersecurity, <laughs> and why does it matter? First of all, it matters to you, and yes, it matters to the wider um, concept as well. A very common thing question I get asked is, "But who would attack me? I'm just a rando." Uh, and there are two answers there. One, uh, many attacks don't care who you are. They are sort of widespread attacks. Just casting a wide just, net. Yeah, yeah, just casting a net everywhere. And whoever gets caught, gets caught. They don't care. Um, but also, uh, you have devices. These could be used to attack others. And then later, you know, when police come calling, then what are you going to do? Because your computer uh, was part of a huge cyber attack, for example. Um, so you do wait, wait, go back. What? <laughs> so for example, there is also malware that you don't know works on your computer. It's working on your computer and it's actually facilitating it. It's hiding the tracks of an attack and it's hiding it in your computer. So when uh, they are tra tracking where the attack came from, then, well... There you go. You have visitors. Ooh, that's a comforting <laughs> thought. But anyway, so that, that answers the question of oh, why me? Who would, who would attack me? Um, but uh, what, should, what should one do? Well, uh, I also go to schools and tell t kids about their cybersecurity. And um, here's my top three tips. Uh, I change one for grown-ups because one of the tips for kids is talk to a grown-up. So uh, step one is passwords. Uh, have passwords on all your accounts, on all your devices, Make sure that they're long. Uh, they don't need to have 50 different characters, as in, uh, I don't know, c commas and, and numbers and blah, blah, blah. The longer, the better. 12 is the absolute minimum. So at least 12. Um, you know, they should be rememberable, something that you have, uh, or, or have a password. Um, well, normally have a password wallet. There are a couple of apps, but one of those apps was breached recently. So oh, oh my. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but um, basically, I have passwords, long ones, different ones uh, for different uh, different uh, websites, different things. 
by the way, if you don't want to use a password manager, if you lo- live alone, uh, then in your bottom drawer, you can just write them down in a notebook. Nobody's going to come to your house. The, the danger is, on, is online, not inside your house. Um, but um, so passwords, you know, have different passwords, uh, secure your passwords, make sure that, that you can't be attacked that way. Because uh, in general, they get your password three ways. One, brute force. If you have a long password, they can't do it. Two, uh, the company gets hacked. In that case, you can't do anything anyway. Uh, well, the only thing you can do then is regularly change your passwords. And then three is uh, if you use your own name for password, for example, which also happens a lot. <laughs> so things like that. So passwords is tip number one. Okay. Tip number two is um, a very modern tip. Uh, be careful what you share online about your life, uh, about your location, things like that. Um it's also useful in general so that the companies don't collect that much big data on you on, on like your activities and so on. But yeah, um, there's no need to post pictures of you uh, with your plane tickets. There's no reason to post pictures of you with uh, uh, the new bank card you just bought, uh, telling everybody where you live, stuff like that. Just, you know, don't share stuff and uh, don't do, you know, dumb YouTube or TikTok videos under your whole, your own name and, and things like that. So be careful about what you're sharing. And three is um, be careful what you get in your mailbox. Uh, So make sure that the emails you are opening do come from people that you think you should be getting emails from. Uh, Attachments as well. uh, Don't open them unless you're sure that this is okay. I mean, I, I work in cybersecurity and I've been a victim of ransomware. Oh, that was before, but but still, I mean, uh, in a in the right circumstance, anybody can be a victim. But um, yeah, be careful. Uh, also, you know, do backups or or things. So so just in general, be careful. And I know it seems like okay. So do I have to think about it every single day all the time? Well, um, I would say that's a bit like healthy eating. That uh, you know, once you get into it, uh, you won't even notice it it being there. And and keep in mind that it could happen to everybody. Um, there are cyber attacks registered every day in, you know, even in Estonia. Recently, it's been down. It used to be about 300 a day. Uh, now it's about, I would say, 150, 200 registered per day. And, um, and yeah, it seems sometimes that, oh, I, I'm not going to fall victim to a phishing scam, for example. You know, those Nigerian princes are not going to get me. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, that might be true. But they there are also much better phishing emails as well, and and I mean we're academics, we get weird emails all the time that very much seem like phishing emails. So um, yeah, just be careful with what you're doing, and 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 you know have backups. And remember, it can happen to everybody. And and one part there as well is if it does happen to you, uh, don't feel ashamed about it. Um, just you know, do better. And I was going to ask, what should what should someone do if they? Uh, if you're in Estonia, then um, then there is a reporting uh, link where you can report anything. Um, I think we could maybe we can share that with the podcast later. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll share it in the uh, and in the, uh, the episode description. And you can uh, each country has a, a cert um, uh, cert comp uh, not company but cert department as well. At least in Europe, where uh, they have this uh, notification section. But also if it's, a, let's say, your work computer, you know, talk to your work IT as well. Uh, it was my work computer that got hit by ransomware. And I had backed up, backups everywhere. I just sort of, I took it to IT and said, yeah, I, this this has ransomware on it. And then they just cleared the whole computer. And I said, ah, all the um, data is fine. Well, 
obviously all the data on that computer was encrypted anyway, but I had backups elsewhere. I said, yeah, just clear this. And they cleared the whole thing, uh, put Windows back, and, and I, I continued my life as it was. But uh, yeah, just don't, um, don't hide. Uh, a good joke that I like to use in class is that uh, one of the reasons why cybersecurity is scary to people is because media keeps portraying it in a weird way. And, and one of the worst ones ever is NCIS, if you've ever seen that TV show. <laughs> okay. uh, NCIS, where um, they're getting hacked. And first of all, they start typing with four hands to make it quicker, as if that's how it works. And then uh, it's solved when Gibbs walks in and just pulls the plug on the computer, and therefore the attack is over. Uh, <laughs> but my point here is that don't just close the computer and pretend it didn't happen. It's If it's in their okay. computer, it's in your computer. Though it might be useful to definitely unplug it from the internet in case it might uh, use your computer to go to others. Okay, well, that's a lot to take in, but um, I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, of course, these these issues are unfolding, so uh, I hope you'd be welcome to come back and explain more to us in the future. I'm uh, always happy to uh, go and tell people what they should do with their computers. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot, Catelyn. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Okay, thank you for joining us uh, on this episode. Thank you very much, Catelyn, for uh, being our guest and telling us all we need to know about the future of cyber. As always, we are brought to you by the Tallinn University School of Governance, Law, and Society and the Baltic Film, Media, and Arts School here at Tallinn University. Our producer is Avo Ulvik. Our research coordinator is Vega Smolue. We had additional contributions from our team, Ani Ruta Inamdar, Jana Levitinia, Kano Yasui, Katrin Helen Kasavandik, and Temitopi Aluko. Our theme song is Ghosts of 68, performed by myself and Paul Simmons. All additional music is composed and performed by myself for Avo Ulvik. You can find us on Twitter at Talon Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at TLU Podcast, and our new TikTok account at Talon University Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Terry McDonald, and we'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>